1937, the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book titled The, the Cost of Discipleship. And uh, he knew firsthand that discipleship comes with a cost. There is a, a cost to, to discipleship. And, and Bonhoeffer paid the ultimate cost when eight years after writing that book, uh, he was martyred. He was killed at the hands of Hitler and the, the Nazi regime. There is a cost that comes with being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you were here last week, we talked about the first chapter in Bonhoeffer's book, uh, and we were talking about cheap grace. And what cheap grace is, is this idea that I, I want to be uh, a Christian, I want to be uh, a disciple, but I don't really want to pay a price. I don't want to have my life disrupted. And so cheap grace is kind of this formula that, that allows us to do that. Well, I can be a disciple, but I don't really have to be a follower. I can be a Christian. And what we said last week is that that is not Christianity. Discipleship will disrupt your life. There is no way around that fact. Discipleship will disrupt your life. There is a cost that comes with discipleship. And if I'm unwilling to have my life disrupted, then what I'm really saying is I'm unwilling to be a disciple. You know, as you read the Gospels, one of the, the notable things about Jesus is in his calling people to follow him, he is never so desperate for disciples that he waters down the cost. Like he, he's not so desperate for customers that he buries in the fine print what it's going to cost to follow him. In fact, Jesus does just the opposite in the Gospels. He raises the bar. He says, if you're going to follow me, this is what it's going to entail. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to pick up your cross, and you're going to have to follow me. He's saying things that he knows are going to drive people away from him. Now, he also talks about the benefits. He said, I came that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. And so, so my offer is life, but here's what that's going to entail. It's going to entail denying yourself and picking up your cross and following me. And so this morning, we're going to we're going to talk about the call of discipleship. Join me as we pray. Father God, you know that in our flesh we crave comfort and we crave control. We don't want to follow the leader. We want to be the leader. Lord, we invite you to disrupt our lives as you see fit. Disrupt us with your truth Give us the grace to see, to hear, and to obey. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'd like to do is look at several call stories. And these are familiar stories from the Gospels. The first one we're going to look at is probably the most familiar call story, that of Peter and Andrew and James and John, and we're going to turn to Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 16. 
As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishermen of men, fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I think, uh, at least for me, and I, I imagine for you, as I read that passage, it's troubling. It's troubling on really two different fronts. On one hand, it's troubling because of the incredible sacrifice that Jesus is asking these disciples to make. This is not an invitation. Jesus is not inviting them to, to, to something to which they can politely accept his inv invitation or decline his invitation. This is not Jesus saying to Peter and Andrew and to James and John, hey guys, I'm trying to formulate a team. I want 12 people, and I really think that you would be a good part of the team, and this would be really good for you. What do you think? Are you interested in joining this team? This is not that. This is what we would call a summons, or to say it more simply, this is a command. Come, follow me. He is commanding them to follow him, and that's troubling. That's troubling because there is something within us that bristles at the idea of such a command. And I don't think we would articulate it this way, but really the question that arises is, who does Jesus think he is? I mean, who does he think he is to disrupt our lives so dramatically. It's awfully bold of him to just ask them to leave everything and actually expect that they are. It's awfully bold and it's awfully presumptuous. The reason this troubles us is because if Jesus does it to them, then it's reasonable to expect that Jesus also will do this to us that he will command us to follow him, and, and that's going to disrupt our lives. The whole encounter would be much more to our liking if Jesus invited the four men out to lunch and, and then had a conversation about, it, about what it was that he was inviting them to consider. Maybe give them the opportunity to ask some questions give them the opportunity to seek some clarification, and give them the opportunity to negotiate. To negotiate a little bit. Maybe meet in the middle. Like, okay, we'll follow you, Jesus, but, but here are our terms. Like, we want to be home on weekends. That's really important to us. And we'll follow you, Jesus, but you know we don't want to go to Samaria. Promise not to take us to those Samaritans. And we're not really that fond of, like, notorious sinners. So we'll follow you, but we don't want to have anything to do with them. We'll follow you, Jesus, as long as you can assure us of our safety. 
We don't ever want to be in danger. We don't want to have to be, be doing difficult things. We'll follow you as long as you tell us exactly where it is we're going and what it is that we're doing. Now that we like. We like the idea of negotiation, the idea of coming to a mutual agreement, an arrangement. If Jesus negotiated the terms of discipleship with the four men, then we would expect there to be a negotiation with us, that we could negotiate the terms of our discipleship with Jesus. We like that because it leaves us still in control. We can dictate the terms of the relationship of the discipleship, but that would not be discipleship. Discipleship is not a negotiation. That's troubling. Discipleship is not a negotiation. Discipleship is not coming to a mutual agreement. Discipleship is a call to submission. It is a command to submission. It's a call to obedience. It is a call to follow. The terms of our relationship with Christ are not up for debate. He is Lord, and he calls us, just as he called Andrew and Peter, James and John, to follow him. Disciples don't negotiate. Disciples obey. So that's the first thing that I find troubling in the passage, is, is the expectation that Jesus has. But there's an, another thing that troubles me in this passage, and that is the fact that these four men actually did it. That, that they left everything and they, they followed. And do you know what we usually do with this story because it's kind of troubling? We turn those four men into superheroes. We turn them into the superheroes and we make this story really about their faith. How great their faith was to leave everything behind and to follow Jesus. We make them superheroes because if we can turn them into superheroes, we increase the distance between them and us. Well, sure, they could do it, but we're not them. We're not superheroes. Friends, the disciples were not superheroes. They are four ordinary Jewish men who had an encounter with who they perceived to be the Messiah. And they understood that the proper, the fitting response was to submit to the Messiah. All four Gospels contain uh, this call account in, in slightly different ways, but what none of the Gospels do, none of the Gospels make this about their faith. And none of the Gospels are they commended for this incredible sacrifice for leaving their nets behind and following Jesus. This is about the, the gracious call of Jesus to follow him. Jesus is Lord. And if you are so blessed, I'll use the word fortunate, if you are so fortunate to have him call your name and summon you to follow him, there is only one fitting response, and that is to follow, it is to submit. Disciples don't negotiate, disciples obey. So again, we need to return to 
to the subject last week, to the subject of cheap grace. Jesus' call is to, to follow him. This is what it means to be a Christian, a, a Christ one, a Christ one. A Christian is a follower of Jesus, but wanting, to, to ha- wanting not to have our lives disrupted, there is this temptation for us to change what it means to be a Christian, to remove from, from the equation the idea of actually following Jesus and make being a Christian about believing some propositions. Well, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and I believe he died, and I believe he rose again, and he's going to come back, and I believe that by believing, I'm saved from my sins. And we say by believing this formula, that's what makes us a Christian. At least that's what we tell ourselves. But Jesus did not come asking us to believe in some propositions that are unhitched from action. He came with a call. Follow me. Follow me. Only those who obey are the ones who truly believe. You see, cheap grace, we want to say, no, you can believe and not obey. The scripture says only those who obey, only those who follow are the ones who truly believe. Christians are followers of Jesus. So don't tell me what you believe because we know that the demons believe. The demons believe Jesus is the Son of God. The demons believe that he died to conquer sin. They believe, but they don't follow. The story repeats, the call story, with Levi the tax collector. Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. This time, we are prevented from turning the disciple into a superhero. Because this is not a superhero, this is a tax collector. And for those of you who have been watching The Chosen and Matthew is your favorite character as he is mine, don't let The Chosen fool you. This isn't some beloved person that is just misunderstood, who has ADD. This is a person who is a betrayer of his people. He is colluding with Rome. He's taxing his own people. He's probably taxing them more than he should so that he can pad his own pocketbook. He's a rascal. And Jesus turns to him and says, follow me. And Levi gets up and leaves everything and follows him. He leaves his his occupation. He leaves the life of luxury that his occupation has afforded him. There's many more call stories in the the Gospels. In Luke chapter 9, we we encounter, we have three quick encounters that Jesus had with, with three different people who said they wanted to follow him, but they all wanted to negotiate the terms of discipleship. Verse 57, it says this, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. 
Had Jesus believed that to be true, I think he might have said, great, come on. But Jesus knew that this man's grand declaration came with an asterisk, that he was really negotiating. And so Jesus replied and told him what discipleship might entail. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place for his head. Do you really want to follow me wherever I go? He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I will follow you. But, I'll follow you, but that's not discipleship. That's a negotiation. Disciples don't negotiate. Disciples obey. And there's always a cost. It is always going to disrupt your life in some way. Discipleship requires that we leave some things behind. For Peter and Andrew, they... They left what they knew so well, their fishing business. James and John leave their father, Zebedee, along with his his other workers. Levi, he leaves the, the tax booth and the luxury that that afforded him. In Mark's gospel, we read about a man who came to Jesus and said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments, obey them. The man said, I've done that. I've done all of those commandments. And the the scripture says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Loved him. And then he put his finger on the one thing he knew that this man was unwilling to give up. He said, go and sell your possessions. Give to the poor. And then come follow me. And with that, the man put his head down and sadly walked away because he had great wealth. I will follow you, but. That's not discipleship, that's negotiation. So yes, discipleship will disrupt your life. Jesus doesn't put that in fine print. He's upfront about it. It will disrupt your life in all the right ways. Discipleship will disrupt your life in all the right ways. The fact is that our lives need to be disrupted. Your life needs to be disrupted. My life needs to be disrupted. The scripture says there's a way that that seems right to man. There's a way in my own mind that seems right to me. But in the end, that way leads to death. And so the most loving thing that God could do is disrupt my life if I am on a path that is going towards death. You see, in my flesh, and and I trust in your flesh, we want to be selfish. We want to get our needs met. We want to look good in front of everybody. We want to be in control. We want pleasure, and we want to avoid pain in our flesh. We want, we want, we want. My life needs to be disrupted. 
Your life needs to be disrupted. God made me, God made you for so much more than a self-absorbed life. We were created to do hard things. God wired that into us. The easy path is very rarely the path to abundant life. So what is it that God is calling you to leave behind? Like the, the, the wealthy man, there, there's things in our life where we've said yes to this God, but then we've negotiated our discipleship and said no to this, and somehow in our minds we've reconciled that, that it's okay. It's not. Because disciples don't negotiate, disciples obey. And so you think of your life without that thing, and you think, I, I don't, that is such a part of me, could I survive without that thing? And the fact that you're, you're thinking that reveals that this has really become for you an idol. It's the thing that you're really trusting in. So right now I imagine there are some things that God is calling you to, to leave behind. I want you to consider this. Instead of thinking about this as a test of your faith, think about it as a test of your obedience. Instead of thinking about it as a test of faith, think about it as a test of obedience. Because usually what we do is we say, the thing that is hindering me from obeying is my lack of faith. I just don't trust God enough. But Bonhoeffer encourages us to flip that equation. He said, it's actually your lack of obedience that's hindering your faith. Like, if you obey God, now you're, you're in the deep end. And, and you'll be surprised to find that, that God will supply you the faith. When Jesus says, follow me, there's only one fitting response, and that is obey. And the faith will follow. So we have the, the great privilege this morning of coming to the table and as we do, we see so clearly the one who is calling us to follow him. We get this incredible picture of our leader that is saying, follow me. He's not ruthless. He's not inconsiderate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. He's compassionate. He sends his son to actually lay down his life for us, his followers. This is someone to whom it is easy to say, yes, I, I will follow you because he loves us so much. At the, ta at the table, we come not to, to give, but we come to receive because we have such a gracious father. We come remembering Christ's sacrifice on the cross once for all the righteous, for the unrighteous to bring us to God. We meet with God in a, a very real yet mysterious way at the table. He imparts grace to us. And we receive this promise of a heavenly banquet that we will one day enjoy. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks and praise.